You know, this past week, I, I encountered something. I've not encountered this before. I had someone drive by, and I didn't see them, but they drove by with um, packets of paper inside a sealed, what do you call it, one of those uh, sandwich bags, sealing uh, Ziploc bags, and a piece of paper folded up like this with some stones in it, and I picked it up, I opened it up and looked at it, and it says here, um, it says, are Jews responsible for 9-11, the facts? And I read through this, I turned it over, and I just, I read both sides, and I stood back and I said, you have got to be kidding. The seven supposed facts that they have to prove what they believe is the truth, I, I just said, this is, this is horrible. It wasn't logical, and they have a TV station, and I just thought, wow, people out there really believe this. And there's so much evidence to the contrary that it was Al-Qaeda as opposed to the Jews. And I, and I had to think, because why, how is it that it is people, and let me just extend that, the world believes certain things. And church, if we're not careful, maybe not about this, but other things, we can get sucked right into what culture preaches as truth. And as wise stewards of God's word, as those who rightly divide the word of truth, and we're actually going to look at that word tonight, so turn with me to Second, Second Timothy chapter 2. But we need to be wise, church. We can't be sucked in with the culture to interpret the word of God the way they do, the way the world does. And so many churches in our day have been sucked into this misunderstanding of God's words on so many levels and it has become westernized, it has become culturalized. And w w when you hear some people preaching from the Bible, you're wondering, I'm sorry, what Bible are you preaching from? Paul realized that there was a day coming in which, and it was going to be in their lifetime, in which people would not be able to tolerate the truth. And in chapter 4, we're not going to get there tonight, but in chapter 4, he warns Timothy, and he says, look, people are going to start gathering preachers and teachers around them that will say exactly what their itching ears want to hear. Now, I don't know what that's like because my ear rarely itches, but the truth is many people in our day list, listen to podcasts and teachings that make them feel good, that set right with them regardless of the right understanding of God's word. The gospel is the foundation of everything that is taught in this, in this book. Everything. You remember that Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Some people say, hey, just tell the truth, and if you tell the truth, it will set you free. That's Hollywood's interpretation of this. This, there's, this, this passage of scripture in John 8 means, it means nothing like this. Actually, it says if you know the truth, when you embrace it, not just know it here, but really in here, when you know the truth, it will set you free. And Jesus was saying it will set you free because you're a prisoner of sin. That is the heart of the gospel. That's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus came to do just that, to set us free. He is the way, the truth, and the life. See, when you believe the truth, that's what sets you free. Amen? So follow me as we look at what just two verses. That's all we're going to go through tonight. And I'm really going to focus on only one of them. And then I'm going to come back next week and kind of look at the broader picture, preach a little bit more, how it ties in and such. But 
I want to focus on this idea of the word of truth. The word of truth. Follow me on 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. The word of truth. You know, let's understand when he says that we should not quarrel about words, he is not saying that we should not be concerned about words in the Bible. Because some people say, you know, you guys just argue about whether a word is even singular or plural. You guys argue about this word or that. And this passage tells us we're not supposed to do that. This is what you'll hear. And so as a result, we just need to step back from the Bible and kind of get the gist of it. And that's what we embrace. Well, let me just tell you, the Bible, every word of this book is inspired of God. Do you realize that Paul actually built an argument that is a foundation of truth on whether a word was singular or plural? In Galatians chapter 3, he says that Abraham was blessed and his seed. And Paul makes a big deal. He says, he doesn't say seeds, meaning many, but seed, meaning one. Who is Abraham's seed? See, it's Jesus. It's the Messiah. The blessings for, have come from Abraham through Jesus to all the nations. Because God said to Abraham, I will bless all nations through you. And that's exactly what has happened. As the gospel has been promoted throughout the world, the gospel has rescued, and as a result, Jesus has blessed many nations through Abraham, the man of faith. That's what Galatians 3 is about. And he makes this argument about one word, whether it's singular or plural. Can I just say that when it's talking about not arguing about words, the focus is on arguing. So he's challenging, Paul, and we're going to look at this even next, well, two weeks from now, about the servant of God must not quarrel. That's the focus. The words of Scripture are so important, church. Every word of Scripture, every word is important. As a matter of fact, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he said, not one word will fail. Not one iota or little jot or tittle will fail, will fall away. It is all important. And so when we're talking about, when, when Paul is challenging Timothy not to quarrel about words, the focus then is quarreling. Church, there are, in our culture, there are many who are veering from the truth and our job is to veer them back on course as far as what the word of God, what the Bible, what the word of truth teaches. And the words are important, but church, don't argue. There's no need for that. We're going to look at that, as I say, two weeks from now. But as we, I, I, I needed to touch on this because the word of truth is concerned about words. But what is the word of truth? What exactly is he talking about? Ephesians 1.13 says, You were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, listen, the gospel of your salvation. 
If you could imagine the Bible like a house, the foundation is the gospel. Many times that is called the word of truth. And it's not just this verse in Ephesians 1.13, it's many others. What's built on top of that, the house, the building, the structure, is the rest of Scripture, all of which is inspired, all of which is inerrant, all of which is authoritative for our lives. He is challenging us, though, to be very careful about the word of truth, that we must rightly divide the word of truth. This word, this Greek word, means to that, that we that's translated here correctly handles, and that's a fair way of translating it. Literally, it means to cut straight. When people take the word of God and twist it, is it straight? Absolutely not. It's twisted. Peter challenged some of his hearers, and he said that the world will take what Paul has to say, and some of it's hard to understand, and they will twist it like they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. And this is what's happening in our day. People are twisting God's word, making it say something it absolutely does not, and it comes to people's, if not their own destruction, to the destruction of others. We're going to see an example of that next week. But Paul is challenging Timothy. When you're interpreting the word of God, don't seek to twist it. The simplest understanding is generally the right one. Cut straight. So Paul then is, is challenging him to understand the word of God Understand the word of truth, which is the gospel. Now, if you go back to, to verse 8, remember it says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my what? This is my gospel. Chapter 1, verse 8. Excuse me, chapter 2, verse 8. This is my gospel. Now, I went over this last week, but understand the gospel, this word of truth that Timothy is challenged to correct uh, handle correctly or to cut straight this gospel is Jesus raised from the dead descended from David now again quickly summing up from last week that means that he died why did Jesus die if he was raised from the dead he had to die right why did he die he had to die because he was the substitute for my sins for your sins he had to die in my place so my sins were placed on Jesus and he died because the wrath of God was poured out upon his very own son and his son was punished for me. That is amazing. Jesus was punished for me. That means also if he was raised from the dead that he has power over death and sin. That is the gospel. If, if sin is continue is to continue to have control over me it will continue to reign death over my life and there is no life jesus came by his resurrection to conquer that sin conquer the death and give that life to me to give the life to you through faith in jesus this is the the crux of the gospel it offers also resurrection power for us every day and it brings me then to life the spirit of life that raised Jesus from the dead, now lives in me. I'm no longer dead in my transgressions and sins. I am alive in Christ Jesus. That is the gospel. Then he goes on and he says he's descended from David. 
Now, if you are descended from David, and why does he make such a big deal about that? That means he's the king of this new kingdom, right? And if he's the king of this new kingdom, then guess what, church? Descended from David, he must be the Messiah, Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me. That is the, the Hebrew word there. The noun form of it would be Mashiach or Messiah. That's anointed one. That's where Messiah comes from. That's where Christ comes from, the Greek. He is the anointed one to proclaim the good news to the poor, to open the eyes of the blind, to set the captives free, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That he is the one that would set us free. He's the bondage breaker. He's descended from David. The Messiah has come. This is the gospel. Now, I just want to share with you, because I have only five more minutes, I want to share with you over in verse 20, 25 and 26 of this chapter. And I'm only going to touch on this. I'm going to dig into it a little bit more two weeks from now, but he says this, verse 25, speaking to Timothy, the servant of God, and any servant, can I ask you, are you a servant of God today? If you're a servant of God, raise your hand. Then Paul is speaking to you, listen up. Here's what he says. Those who oppose you, says him, but you, those who oppose you, you must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant that person who's opposing the truth, God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Now listen to this. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. This past Wednesday night when we were gathered here for prayer, God just laid a, a strong burden for me to pray that the enemy would not be able to blind eyes, would not be able to whisper into he ears when they were listening to the gospel, and that the Spirit of God would open eyes, would open hearts, that they would clearly understand it, and that they would want Jesus more than the breath they breathe. This passage right here, that is in essence what Paul is saying. You and I, every single one of you who raised your hand and said, I'm a servant of the Lord, there was a day in which you were blinded. There was a day in which you, this word here, when it says come to their senses, it means bring them to sobriety, from drunkenness in which they can't think straight to sobriety where they can clearly understand. That is what the, those who are lost, it's like they're in a fog. There was a day before I turned 14 in which I was in a fog. I did not understand the gospel, but Jesus Christ came that day and he opened my eyes. This is a similar word, not the same one, but a similar word is used when the lost son squanders all of his wealth. He sits down after feeding the pigs. He's so hungry, he's longing to eat the swill, and he's thinking, what have I done? Why am I here? What, what is going on? Even those who are with my father, the servants have it better than I do. I know what I'll do. I'll go back and I will, I'll ask my dad to forgive me. Not to accept me back as a son, but maybe as a servant, I'll at least get fed. Rather than dreaming about eating pig swill, the Bible says at that moment, he came to his senses. Do you remember what he did? When he came to his senses, this is what happened to me when I was 14. I got up and I started 
going to the father and the son got up, started going to the father and the father saw him and ran to him while he was a long way off and wrapped his arms around him, kissed him. There was weeping. There was a welcoming. My son who was lost is now found. He was once dead, but now he's alive. That is the story of your life. If you raise your hand and said, I'm a servant of God. And we now have this privilege of being able to take the word of truth in our in the day in which all truth, it seems as if our culture wants to twist it and step back and say, let's cut a straight line here. Let me clearly explain to you the gospel that can save you. And I'm going to just close in prayer here, and I'm going to pray for each of us that God will help us this week as we have opportunities to cut straight the word of truth, be able to share the gospel. When we do that, the Spirit of God comes many times, and he brings people to their senses. They see clearly. They say, wow, what am I doing? Why am I here? The Father loves them. Just as he loved you and called you out of the darkness to his light, he loves them. I'm just going to pray right now that God is going to use each of us this week to be able to speak the truth and make it clear and be able to speak to their hearts and bring them to their senses. And the Bible says that he's going to rescue them out of the trap of the devil. Wow, that is awesome, church. Father, I just ask you that you would grant us wisdom and the ability this week as we're looking for people who don't know the truth that, God, you would anoint us to cut straight the word of truth and be able to preach and share Jesus, maybe share our testimony, share the gospel, and be able to lift up Jesus as the one raised from the dead, the Messiah descended from David, and that, God, as we share Jesus, people would come to their senses. And they, they too would come to the Father as you run to them and embrace them and welcome them home. God, would you use us to that end? Father, thank you for the privilege you gave some of us today to share the gospel, to point people to Jesus. Thank you for the drama presentation that so clearly portrays the gospel. God, may those seeds that were sown spring up to eternal life. And I just pray, God, that you would begin a mighty work in this city and just, just use us, Father, in these small ways to be able to lift up Jesus' name. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.